even if you were to separate, say, like negative punishment of removing the dog versus like a positive punishment of a correction. Yeah. It's such a loaded word, punishment. Like I would hazard a guess that you wouldn't find anyone on the planet who would be against a timeout, even the most positive it's, it's inevitable anyway, even if you're... You know what I mean? Just removing yourself or removing the dog from the situation. By definition, that's punishment. Exactly. Negative you know, punishment. You know yeah. what I do with my clients, Luke? Right? Um, I'm not holding this up as some kind of gold standard, right? But pretty much all my clients train with... Well, all my train, clients train with markers. Many of them train with clickers. So mm. I actually train my clients so that where they need to use punishment, they have all the necessary pieces. And we always call it punishment. And I describe to them why it's punishment, what type of punishment it is. They understand basic dog training terminology, right? So I don't say to them, are oh, we just going to use a correction? No, this is punishment. We're using punishment here. And this is why. This is what you need to know to make this work. Da, 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 da. So be aware of what you're doing. Here's the reason that we're doing it. We're trying to do it so that we don't have to do it again. Right? At the end of the day, that's it. And here's the laundry list of things that we do before we're actually looking at using positive punishment because we can we can greatly reduce how often we need to use it, how much of it we need to use. We can better prepare the dog for when it does happen, all of this stuff, right? But I one, I think as dog trainers, one of the worst things that we do is we avoid calling things what they are. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts, and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live, and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host, Panos Anagnostu. And I'm your co-host, Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Brad Griggs, welcome to the show. What's happening, boys? Good to have you you on. Very good. Thanks, yourself? Um, Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. No complaints. Awesome. Well, I've been thinking about this episode for a while now. I'm watching your stuff always online and we've met in, in person before. So it's, yeah. so I'm, Dude, I'm you gave, you, you're very lovely in person. Like you're very much in person, like you are on the podcast, mate. Like oh, it's, thank you. anyone who thinks that you're different away from what you do is tripping balls. Mistaken. No, I appreciate <laughs> that, man. That, that's a, that's a beautiful compliment. Well, as yeah, I was saying, you know, for anyone that wants to know, Panos and I, we met briefly and then Panos ga- drove me for like two and a half hours to get me to the airport so I could catch a flight back from, from teaching yeah, some stuff yeah. in Sydney out to Melbourne. So, yeah, man, that was yeah. a while ago too. Now, what? It was like something like eight years ago or something crazy. Uh, yeah, eight, ten, somewhere in that mm. bracket. Don't ask me, man. I've, my memory's terrible. Well, I remember when I worked out there, that was a, around about nine years ago. So that's um, yeah. that's crazy, huh? How time flies. Yeah, man. Oh, I, really? I can't. I'm terrible with that. I'm well, terrible. I'm, I don't even trust my memory anymore. I was on a – like I used to have a bit more to do with Facebook than what I do and um, is in a group that we're both in and I actually honestly gave my recollection of events – and someone who definitely felt the need to be right about that um, <laughs> corrected me, shall we say. <laughs> and uh, they were correct. I was wrong. But, uh, yeah, so since then I've been – it was a moment where I rarely trust my memory. 
Well, you know what, man? You don't have to worry about it because you do an awesome job. Have you told some of the listeners that, that don't, aren't familiar with you, like what you get up to, where you're from? and you tell us a story, yeah. Yes, please. Oh, shit. Righto. Um, well, for starters, uh, I guess be careful of anything I say about myself because self-endorsement is indeed no form of recommendation. <laughs> um, if you want to know about me and what I do and whether I'm any good at it, you're probably better off to ask people that know than listen to me because I've got a vested financial interest in continuing what I do, right? But <laughs> having said that, I've been, I started off, I'd, I'd have to do the math. It was like 17, 18 years ago. Um, training dogs, I started as a decoy. So for those that don't know, that's um, the dude that um, gets bitten by dogs and shapes the way that they um, fight uh, an offender, I guess. So it was security and law enforcement type dogs that I was involved with. And then from there, I went to actually learning how to train dogs, which was really interesting because for most people, they do it the other way. And so, yeah, I went on and did a formal education and uh, that was through the National Dog Trainers Federation. That was, it was a, it was a different, it was a different beast back then because it was all, it was pre-national accreditation, right? So Mm -hmm. on on the national qualifications framework. Uh, So basically, if you weren't competent, you got told you weren't competent, you got graded on percentages, not just competent, not yet competent, uh-huh. right? And back then that was a big feeder for another business, the leading business here in Australia for, for dog training and behaviour. And, yeah, so if you were any good, you got picked for a job. And I That's was actually awesome. put through, yeah, I was actually put through that course on a scholarship um, and I was very grateful for that and wound up getting a job. And I was the worst student on earth. So my, I didn't hand in my final uh, tests and stuff until 18 months after everyone else handed theirs in. <laughs> no rush. So I just, no, no rush. No rush. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's still the same my, like they do it now, like a complex skill? It was heaps different, dude. It was heaps yep. different. Um, yeah, so dog training was a different world. Back then it was a much smaller world. Um, and and we, but having said that, we had a much more in-depth education. So I went on, I became the operations manager of the NDTF for a while and the education. And so it's, I would hope it's changed between when I was there and now, which that would, that's nine years ago I was there. I would hope that it's changed for the better. Um, but definitely there was a stark difference between the education I did and the education the NDTF was delivering. Um, it's not to say one was better than the other. They were just different. There was, was a different it, was sort of depth. Less focused on work dogs and more about um, pet dogs or what was the main difference? When the NDTF switched across to working um, through a government accreditation, right, it, it, it's very hard not to pass. Mm-hmm. It's very hard not to pass, whereas the old NDTF was essentially a private organisation and could set their own standards. Yeah. Yep, so it it just sort of changes things. And I'm not saying it's better or it's worse. I'm just saying that it was different. And Mm -hmm. my last real strong involvement with the NDTF was going back that far. I've I've had some interactions with them since then and um, I still know the, the, the folks that own it and stuff and, 
but yeah, it was it was just different. So anyway, that was what I did. I don't want to harp on about that, but um, that was what I did. It was it was pretty different, and um, the culture was really different too. Then so um, that was when the world was still well. If you can't eat a bit of shit, you're not going to get ahead, mm-hmm. right? Whereas now, if you look at learning, so I don't know why I'm not qualified to say why, but you know, people are used to consuming information on their own time, in their own way, without any level of confrontation, incomplete comfort at a pace that they can manage, right? Mm-hmm. And back then there was not, almost nothing available like that other than a video. Mm-hmm. So, Because this was pre – I think it was pre-YouTube, I yeah, think. Right. I think. If not, I wouldn't have been, what, 2002. Yeah. 2002, right? So I don't know. When did YouTube kick off? 2005, 06, 06. Okay, yeah. So yeah. it was, uh, uh, yeah. But, it, but even then, it was like dog videos and oh, well, dog videos. But like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was, yeah, yeah. it wasn't anything of substance really back then. It was. No, no, well, it's, it's funny because I can remember while I was doing my course, I can remember that I would look for dog videos on there, mm. right? So obviously, yeah, it was around. But um, but yeah. So anyway, it was, it was just different. You had to eat a certain amount of shit, and you could still be a bit abrasive and, um. Yeah, there, there was a different level of political correctness than there yeah. is today. For I sure, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the listeners will know what you what you mean by that. Yeah, different different environment. Well, I'm not mm. much one for snowflakes, right? So let's just call <laughs> a spade a spade. Like, yeah. um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that not everything was easy for me when I when I came up in dog training, and I'm really super super grateful for it because, um, I wouldn't have lasted this long in the industry. Had it been a really easy road, I wouldn't have been prepared by the journey for the mm. destination. Yeah, that, that's good advice, man. And that's like yeah. with anything really, you know, like you need to go through some shit so you have real experience, not just reading it from a book or hearing it from someone. Like you need to go th- understand it for real so you can, so you've been tested. I, it, dude, if, if I'm qualified to give it life advice and I'm not... <laughs> I would I would recommend to to you know anyone to do difficult things. Yeah, hundred percent. They say uh, what is it? They say hard choices, easy life; easy choices, hard life. Yeah. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's certainly fitting. But having said that, I had some advantages. I mean, I knew a number of people from from well before I started. I, I knew people in dogs from outside of dogs. Right, which is kind of a rarity. Like when you when you're looking at people that have a bit of influence in the dog world and they're ensconced in that dog world, they usually know a lot of people from the dog world. Whereas um, these people that I knew, uh, they were um, friends and associations from from well in advance of that. You know, I was 14 years old when I met these people. So yeah, had, had a stroke of luck there. Got through that. Went to work there. Worked for a club for a while. Went out on my own done this, done that. Uh, now I run, um, amongst other things I do, I run uh, a full-time indoor training centre. I'm speaking to you from the training centre here in Melbourne. It's about, oh, shit, what is it? 320-something square metres. Yeah, awesome. Right, so it's, it's not the biggest. It's not the biggest, but um, it's a good environment and I've got all the things that I need here to do good work, which and is that, pretty cool. That's Canine yeah. Services, is it? That's your business? Yeah, man. Yeah. Canine Services International CSI. So, yeah, um, 
yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that's really what I do. I mean, I, I do a bunch of other stuff, but here we don't currently run classes and have never run classes here. So we just basically do, you know, uh, one-on-one training and workshops and seminars and uh, What do you focus on? Uh, in in regards to what, dude? In, into your training. So, like, who are you? Your clients are mainly pet dog owners, or you, you're training a lot of trainers or, or working dog um, owners. I've done a bunch of stuff for trainers. Uh, ran a whole student trainer series for for a while there, and had varying success in terms of numbers. And that's something that we're still committed to doing. But you know, I had it all set up to punch out a bunch of stuff until this COVID smacked me in the ass, you know, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. Um, so done a bunch of that. And then uh, I, I get all sorts of training clients from people that want to develop working, working type dogs or sporting type dogs, dogs with behavioral issues, basic obedience trainers, dogs that don't really have an issue, any issue other than the fact that they've, the owners have had and actioned just shit dog training advice and, that's gone nowhere, nowhere good for them. Um, and then I run a number of other programs um, in relation to a variety of things, including dog bite prevention. Right, so we travel all around all around Australia with that when when and as needed. So, yeah, we've had about thirty seven hundred people through those programs. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's huge. That's a lot. Yeah. That's heaps. Yeah, so done a done a fair bit. I don't I don't really share much about it. Um, it's just a. I, I just get the work done, you know. So, but yeah, it's it's good program, really good program. And I do I do other stuff like um, I do uh, temperament evaluations uh, for tribunals, courts, administrative processes, councils, that kind of stuff. So I, I do work for local government and state government as well as doing um, work. Uh, and so they're typically the prosecution, right? And then we've got – I also do work for the defence. Um, so I've seen heaps been- of clips on you being on TV talking about aggression in dogs. <laughs> being on TV. You know, it's funny. Someone Someone actually said to me, uh, more than one person said to me, you know, how does it feel, man? You really made it. You know, you're on TV. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> being on TV never made me a better dog trainer. It never made me any money. never made me a better exactly. dog trainer. It doesn't pay the bills. I, it, it, it's just on that day, those people feel like what you have to say is of value to them. Mm. Yeah, but what, what I've heard, you're giving some really good advice, you know, and, you know, people, having dogs is a very – um, noble thing to do these days and it is a, a more popular it's growing in interest every single year and to see the flip side of owning dogs is that dogs do bite people dogs do attack other dogs and yep. we don't know what like that's a big culture shock to people to say that like I had a client the other day and she said and she was pulling I was pulling my dog out of the car she had like a 10 month old dog Portuguese water dog and I go just don't let your dog jump all over my dog just hold him on the lead and keep some focus and she says oh but um, but I always let my dog run up to other dogs, and I'm like, well, and she goes, aren't they social? Isn't that a like aren't dogs social enough to have to jump on each other? I'm like, yeah, d- dogs are social creatures. I don't know what you're you taking a say. deep breath. Sorry, <laughs> Did you take a deep me, breath. Me, I'm looking at her like confused by her saying 
Bite yeah, your fist. Calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. <laughs> and, and I gave her this analogy. I said to her, yeah, look, they're, they're social creatures just like humans are social creatures, but it doesn't mean that we always have social behaviours. And I said to her, like, if you were walking in Westfields and you had a five-year-old, would you expect every five-year-old to interact with your five-year-old just walking past them? And she said to me, I really hated that when that happened. No and I'm shit. like, it's exactly the same thing with your dogs. And that was a yeah. light bulb moment. And in saying like what we were just talking about in terms of dealing with aggression, well, a lot of aggression can be can be managed if um, people had some sense, some common sense. But also it's about that education. Dude, it, just and- w- it just wouldn't be created. Like a lot of issues wouldn't be created if people just took a step back and stopped listening to this, you know, like – People talk about the good that Caesar Milan has done for dogs, right? Mm-hmm. If you let's accept that he has, for sake mm-hmm. of argument, um, there's also been some stuff that's come from that that isn't so grand, such as the creation of this perception that uh, because your dog does what it does because of how you are, mm-hmm. right? So essentially, because you're the dominant pack leader right, because you want it to interact with this dog, it should interact with this dog. Yes, So yes. people have this picture that dogs, and I'm sure this is in line with you, mate, like people have this picture that in order to be social, a dog needs to be so- socially gregarious, mm-hmm. right, and, and, and socially bold and outgoing, and it's just it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you could have <laughs> clearly you're not, mate, like you're, you're a textbook extrovert, right, but – in terms of perhaps perhaps I'm a more in, of a more introverted character, mm-hmm. right? So then perhaps I don't desire to be around big groups of people because it makes me a little uncomfortable, right? But perhaps I'm broadly social when people meet me one on one or in small groups, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then you've got the added complexity that maybe I am broadly social and maybe I am in a relative sense quite outgoing, but my dickhead radar goes off when someone acts like a douchebag, mm-hmm. right? And that happens for dogs too, right? Like you get a, a young dog bounds up to an older dog, right, and wants to get in its face and wants to try it on a little bit because this dog, you know, has a very strong character. That dog gets smashed. Mm-hmm. You know what? And from a dog-to-dog perspective, it's quite possible that the older dog's actions were both reasonable and proportionate. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, to the I, human I mind, that, to the human eye, that's unacceptable, right? It's anthropomorphic. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yep. And yep. It's, it, it's just a, it's a little bit emotionally obtuse. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. A little bit. So it's interesting that you talk about anthropomorphism and um, I don't think uh, – empathy and anthropomorphism, uh, us, you know, they're, they're not bedfellows, but they banged once, right? Like <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like they know it, each it, other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Know each other. Yeah, so religiously. It's, yeah. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, it's um, Jesus, don't sound bite that, Panos. Don't <laughs> he doesn't sound bite, it's not me. <laughs> Luke, yeah. don't I won't, sound I won't, I won't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's, um, it's good to empathise and, and empathy is necessary, right, but then attributing human emotion to that gets a little bit. Mm. That's where you get yourself in the shit, isn't it? It gets yeah. so tricky, but how does someone be em- empathic without re- regarding it to the experiences that they've had? So someone with like with skills like, you know, me and you have spent more more more, more than enough time to 
to be around dogs and to read a situation outside of what we see it to be. But it's so hard for Jane down the road to not see it for our dog. And that's, and it's so, in one sense, if she was looking at a child having an experience, she can empathize and she can be, well, I don't know if that would be anthropomorphic if it's being to a human, but how do we educate people to have a different way of understanding their dog? Well, let's let's maybe touch on it this way, right? It's a good question. I don't have the answers. But one suggestion I could make is that for the most part, we don't – well, we don't know what dogs are feeling. We infer mm-hmm. from the behaviour that we see what dogs are feeling, right? Now, um, so for example – Empathy is really important for an owner to understand if they own a timid or anxious dog, Mm -hmm. right? Because we don't know that that dog is anxious. We infer that that dog is anxious. We can't see the dog's emotional state. You can't ask him either. Correct, right? So we're left inferring, right? But we can't see the emotional state. What we do is we look at behaviours and then we infer, we add them up and we infer. So we, we form an idea right, based on what we see about how the dog's feeling. And then as professionals, we go about continually trying to poke holes in what we think we know, right, and that's working with a pro. But it's useful for people. So often people attribute, in my experience, people attribute human values to dog actions, right? So they see their dog act aggressively towards another dog, right, and they say, well, he's violent, right, he is aggressive, Look, man, I'm not saying I don't ever call a dog – I don't ever say that an individual is an aggressive dog. I'd certainly – I'm pretty good about not doing it, right, because the reality is that aggression is highly contextual. Mm -hmm. Behaviors are aggressive, not the individual's aggressive. Is that what you mean? Yeah, well, the the individual can act aggressively – but mm. I don't know that it's it's useful for for people to sort to of talk it. about it's a label. Yeah, to you can la- show to aggression without aggressive. being mm. aggressive. Yeah, overall, yeah, dude, Panos, you're you're half a hippie, at least half, probably three quarters, right? <laughs> but someone grabs your missus on the bum, mm-hmm. right? That's probably Absolutely. not going to end so well. And if you get a clip of that behaviour, you can't label me as being what that behaviour was showing in that five so seconds. So you can't of say Panos is aggressive. Yeah. It's appropriate behaviour in that context. Yeah. Right. Is it reasonable? Is it proportionate? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah. So, so I think that my to to round out on that earlier discussion we had, boys, I think that um, people tend to attribute what they see. They tend to attribute human reasons. Mm-hmm. and um, human feelings and understandings to it, right? I think where the empathy is most useful is one step back from that, looking at what motivates the behaviour that you see, mm-hmm. right? So if they understand, okay, so my dog is now my, my dog is now uh, leaning on me, my dog is now trembling, my dog is now doing this, doing that, and you're like, yeah, dude, you've got to understand, like this is where he's at in here. Mm-hmm. Right. If you can empathise with that, if you've ever felt that way, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. So that has the following effects on the dog that we know, and then what we can see here is that when he goes into a state of arousal and it's associated with this emotional state or that emotional state, these are the respondent behaviours that we get. So this list of behaviours starts to pop up when your dog feels that way. Mm-hmm. So empathise a little bit when you see the behaviour. Understand where it comes from. Yes. Right. So that's where that's where I tend to use empathy the most. Mm-hmm. 
Yesterday I had a client and she um, said that her dog's like a, I don't even know what breed it is. Like it's a, it's a big dog, right? I think Roddy Cross. Yeah. It's got four legs and it's black, right? That's all we need to know. But he's like a Roddy mixed with like five other breeds. And last time I came over, he was like super reactive to me, like blunt, like barking at me. So he was scared. So I said, the next time I come over, we're just going to meet at the front and we'll start the session from here just so we don't have to start on that note where we have to then try to bring him back to level zero at 45 minutes in. And anyway, so she did her best to bring the dog out. And and one thing that I noticed, so there was a few things I want to talk about which relates to this, is first of all, she's thinking so much probably about what I'm thinking about her while she's doing it. And I'm like, mm. just get out of your head for a minute because I'm, sh- I'm sure you don't act like this at the door when you're trying to bring the dog out. I do understand it's yeah. kind of unsettled, so it's fine. So I told her, like, just breathe and come back into your body and don't get so caught up. But then yeah. as we're walking her... The technique with with myself, like the dog walked next to me and he wasn't like scared not to pull. He understood this is what we do when we're walking. Even with her husband, the same thing. The dog was walking. But with her, she, you know, we have to improve her technique. That's no problem. So as we're improving it, she is. But the real problem is when he sees dogs, he goes mental and like completely out of control. I'm like, well, if we can't get him listening. Of course, that's and, the real yeah, problem. Of course. If, if your dog can't focus with you here and now when there's no dog around, how is your dog? going to do that behavior when there's a dog around, when he gets overexcited, he's not aggressive. He's not even scared of dogs. He just wants to play with them. Um, but the manifestation of that arousal is that he's already amped up the moment he's left the house mm. and it's hard for him to come back to a level four if he's already hovering at an eight. Mm. So once he sees a thing that tips him over, he goes 12 out of 10 excitement. He's big and he's strong. And then of course she's, and look, so my point there was for her to focus, not about, what happens when you see the behavior when you see when your dog sees a dog? The thing was get uh, teach your dog what you wanted to do when there's no dog around. So then at least you have a little bit more of an inkling to get your dog to do what it wants when there's another when there's when there are dogs around. And her focus was the reactivity rather than seeing where did it come from in the first place. What do you think about yeah, that? You, you hit a buzzword there, but it was, well, I, I see where you're going. So. Um, I'll double back to that whole use of the word reactive because I reckon it's borders on the most overused and wrongly used term in dogdom. But um, true, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can I completely get what you're saying. But and I think where my opinion of where empathy is most useful is for her to understand what's arousal, mm-hmm. right? What does it do to your dog? What happens in the internal environment as a result of what's going on in the external environment? And how does that limit your dog's capacity to think? And how does it um, limit his uh, limit his choices? Right, and then based and then building on that. Now, what other cues are there in the environment? Right, that are and and dictating like the situation and whatever else that are going to contribute to the dog expressing those behaviours. Mm-hmm. Right, so the empathy is really useful on the back end. Mm-hmm. Right, um, yeah, and and oftentimes in the in the situation that you worked out, it's like, well, of course you're going to put it differently to clients, but essentially it comes down to, um, like you're you're not describing a fearful dog, a timid dog, right, um, an anxious dog. You're just describing a dog that doesn't know how to behave, so it behaves in the absence of displaying a trained behaviour your dog goes into a state of arousal, it's going to express that arousal using predominantly instinctive behaviours or behaviours that it's learned through success, mm-hmm. right, um, or failure are or are not going to work, right? So, you know, if she can understand, you you've got a setup where you're limiting your dog's capacity to process everything and behave differently. And then on top of that, 
you haven't done a goddamn thing to actually teach it how you would prefer it to behave. And so mm-hmm. you see your dog's problem is that he's reactive, <coughs> reactive towards other dogs. That was not a real cough. I know. I know. So, you know. <laughs> well, let's talk um, about that because the, the way I use reactive, and, and it is an overused word, I agree. But the problem with any popular word or any popular topic is that it gets used so much that it loses a lot of its meaning. I guess the way that I would use it is, I guess the way most people would use it is that he shows, he sees something and he reacts to it. And usually that reaction is not a desirable reaction. But what's your definition of reactive? Well, and that's a buzzword. So, so this is interesting, about, right? right? So. I get a lot of people come here and they say, well, my dog's reactive. And I'll say, cool. Cool. What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. Then they'll go on and give me an explanation and I'll go, so what do you see when he does that? Well, I see. And, and you're right. A lot of the time people use this. <laughs> to go back one step, reactive is a term these days. Reactivity is a real thing, right? But almost always – these days, the real push for this that I saw in the dog world came from the purely positive dog training community, right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to get into the politics, mm-hmm. but there is a phenomenon there where um, parts of that community say that a dog trainer shouldn't be working with aggression. That's the job of a veterinary behaviorist because they've got mm-hmm. this kind of Ponzi scheme, this the, this upwards, downwards ref- referral um, echo chamber. They're like multi-level mm-hmm. marketers. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and look, I'm sure that in I'm not. I'll leave. I'll just leave that there. I said yeah. what I said. Well, we won't get into it. it right? <laughs> um, but uh, that's my opinion. And so, by saying that a dog is by designating a dog as reactive, that means that the dog's not aggressive, and then it's okay for these trainers yeah, okay. to work with this dog. That's where I saw it starting to creep in. That's interesting, right? So I'm just telling you what I saw, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you what I could perceive was the benefit. Mm -hmm. That was a long goddamn time ago, right? Mm -hmm. So now pretty much no one says my dog is aggressive or my dog behaves aggressively. Everyone says, oh, my dog's reactive. What the Mm -hmm. fuck does that mean? It's such a broad term, yeah, for sure. Because his eyes change in the sunlight, his Mm -hmm. pupils dilate because Mm -hmm. they're getting too much sun. He's reacting to the right. sun, yeah, for that sure. That is reacting, right? Dogs yeah. are reactive organisms. Human beings are too, right? So wh- where it gets misused is we can't, we can't see reactivity. We have to infer reactivity based on what we see. There's observations of behaviours. Make sense? Yeah. In the same way that you can't see anxious. Mm-hmm. You see respondent behaviour that – amongst other criteria leads you to infer that the dog is experiencing that emotional state. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So I had breakfast this morning with one of my dearest friends and she's a neuropsychologist. We are, we're actually talking about this exact thing this morning, mm-hmm. right? So you can't really, you can't see reactivity, right? But what can you see? Well, my dog's reactive. Okay. So it snaps its teeth and it pulls on the leash and its hackles go up and, and it shows its teeth and its ears go back right and it lunges forward and then darts back right you're seeing aggression Mm -hmm. you're not seeing Mm -hmm. reactivity Mm -hmm. you're seeing aggression right now does that come from a reactive physiological and emotional state Mm -hmm. because being in a reactive state has a a strong physiological effect Mm -hmm. 
and a neurological effect because the internal environment changes based on what the dog perceives in the environment and its opinion of what that means to it. Yeah. Does that did I convey that all right? Or yeah, did that I makes completely balls yeah. it up? No, no that's yeah. good. Would you ever use the term reactivity ever describing a dog's behavior? Yeah, I, I can say that a dog is reactive, mm-hmm. right? So he he's I, I can say that um he's I rarely say it, but I can say that a dog is reactive and the way that that manifests is we see the following respondent behavior. Mm-hmm. Would you say, would you go the same route with the word dominant? Would you say the dog's showing Fuck, dominant behaviour? what a behavior? waste of time discussion dominance is. Yeah, All right. okay. So, so let me give you the drill, right? So one of my dear friends, Luke, shout out to Luke. I was sitting there having a conversation with him. Uh, he works, I won't say where he works, but he works with dogs professionally, right? And it's for, he's in a government job, we can say that. So we were talking about dominance. And so dominance is, it's a valid discussion to be had. It's a real phenomenon, right? It is... Um, a social phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck, how deep do we go on this one? We'll wind out with our dicks in the weeds, boys, if we don't be too careful. But <laughs> Just it, go it's, for it. <laughs> so, so, almost, so here in Melbourne, I've been doing this for a long time, right? And I tend to have success with dogs that have failed with I want to be careful not to sound like a flog. So I just got to think, is this, is this strictly true? Yeah, I have success with dogs that have been through working with other people that have, um, that are great marketers perhaps, right? But the approaches haven't worked, right? Now, I'm not saying no one else can do what I do. I just do my thing my way. Mm-hmm. So I almost never have to have if I had a if I had a, a requirement to discuss dominance in the context of explaining behaviour, it I can't remember the last time I had to do it. Mm-hmm. Right, almost always it inhibits a depth of understanding about what's motivating behaviour. It I agree. doesn't aid it. Right, and and almost always when these when whatever behaviour you're seeing is attributed to dominance, right that shuts down any kind of real understanding about the emotional backstory of that behaviour, what's going on, what's ticking, Mm -hmm. what's the emotional substrate in that dog's mind that is driving that behaviour that we're seeing, Mm -hmm. right? Now, it has to also be said, dogs, dominance, this whole dominance discussion, right? You look at the – are you familiar with L. David Mech? No. Have no. You, have you, What's that? Right, so you want to look this up, panels. Right. So L. David Meck is the dude that did the alpha dog research. Oh, the yeah. Alpha I'm wolf familiar. research, right? Yes, I'm familiar. So what yeah. they basically yeah, so what they basically did is they took all these wolves from disparate backgrounds, unrelated, like whacked them all into a to an enclosed environment and then had them compete over biologically imperative resources. Mm-hmm. Right? So food. Mm-hmm. And what happened? Steep hierarchies were formed, it was a fairly violent society. Mm-hmm. Right. And they go, well. Dominance this is, exists. This, yeah, this is dominance, submission, alpha, you know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And so this is where all this comes from. And then years ago, L. David Mech, and, and you know he's a smart motherfucker because mm-hmm. he's got an initial for his first name, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> so L. David Mech put out this video apologising and it was basically because we now know back then they thought that that's how wolf families were formed. Mm-hmm. And now they know that the structure of them is very different to that. It's It's got a greater similarity to like a, it's got a more paternal sort of structure to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 
And generally, Which, okay, so generally, I'm, dad would be the dominant one, and then the mum, and then it goes down. Uh, to but down, but but define generally? dominance. Yeah, define dominance. Like mm-hmm. to right. So what we know about dominance is that it's contextual, mm-hmm. right? And and it shifts. Mm-hmm. So constantly, it, yeah. It, so it's it's very unlikely that you're going to see one individual. Who's always in that top Who role. controls, yeah, man, yeah. who controls everything it's, in an overarching dynamic. format. And isn't that what we are saying before? We don't say that's the dominant dog. That dog's behaviour was dominant yeah, exactly. in that particular in that situation, situation when the carcass time. was around. Yeah. What well, would you say? Dominance is a motivation for behaviour. Dominance isn't behaviour. Yeah, okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's true. If, yep. it, if it exists, if it exists, actually, fuck, let me redo that, right? So... Dominance is about what's going on in a social interaction mm-hmm. between two or more dogs in this instant or wolves, however you want to look at it. And it relates to, and it basically relates to um, resources, control of resources, control yeah. and access to resources, right? And so dominance then, should be behavior that doesn't involve aggression or fe- oh, like physical domin- con. No, contact. dominance isn't behavior, bro. I, I, yeah, I okay. would, I would change. If you're, if you're saying that, trying to summarize what I think, that's not. Okay, what cool. I think. Keep going. My bad. Um, no, no, no. I'm not upset, man. It's, it's a cool no, no. conversation. <laughs> yeah, it, it <laughs> but, is. Yeah. I, I've, I don't ever use the word dominant when I'm ever explaining dog because I know it's too out there. It's too, it's too broad. It's a loaded and, I, I topic, isn't it? and I don't even think it, yeah. it does anything good mm. for helping behavior modification. Mm. So if, if you got, if you got two dogs in the one house, right. And dog a covets its food bowl and starts smashing dog B for going near it. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. There, there is a, proximally we can say that it's about the, about resource guarding, mm-hmm. right? But more broadly, it does involve a social interaction because it's two beings, excuse me, from the same family. Mm-hmm. And there's a hierarchy. Yeah, and it's usually pretty friggin' loose, mm-hmm. mm. right? So one dog likes the ball, one dog likes the bed. Yeah. One dog likes food, couldn't give a fuck about the ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in each of yeah. those situations, they'll let the other one have it because they're they're more interested in something else perhaps. Correct, right? And so I'm not sure if I've skipped something here because obviously like, this is completely unscripted and I don't have any notes, but the greatest part of dominance is deference, Mm -hmm. right? So, Panos, we're going into – you're my boss at some hoity-toity loyal firm where you have to wear a suit. And uh, so we're going into into an elevator, right? And so as we're walking in, the doors open – I'm taller than you, right? I'm heavier mm-hmm. than you. I don't muscle you out the way and I, I step back and I go, mm-hmm. after you, mate. Mm-hmm. Why? I'm deferring to your authority in this context. Yes. But if we're down the pub having a drink on Friday night and you say your wife's a bitch, mm-hmm. guess what? Mm-hmm. Right? You're not my yeah. fucking boss on Friday night, dude. Yeah. Right? So in that context, that's a different thing. How, that, how I, yeah, how I give the example. So, so, and on, I just, go ahead, go, I just go. went around this out, buddy. Please, Sorry please. to cut you off. No, no, no. Go. But, I cut you off. It's, it's really important that people understand why is dominance there? So almost always dominance is associated by people um, as having a relationship of necessity to aggression and violence, right? And that is not the case. The purpose of dominance is to promote social harmony. Mm. 
The mm-hmm. purpose of dominance is to avoid conflict. Yes. Within a family group, if you have a, a if you have a, a male, right, who is um, standing over everyone under him and keeping all the resources to himself, they're not going to have any numbers. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, maybe it makes sense for that male to eat first. Mm-hmm. Maybe it makes sense for him to take some food first mm-hmm. because maybe it's hard times. And oh, apparently my internet connection's unstable. Let me know if it drops out. You don't but maybe it makes sense for him to take food first. But then what if it's, what if it's plentiful, right? Yeah. What if food is plentiful, Yeah. right? Then does it make sense, sense for him to do that? No. Right? So it's all about deference. Yeah. So then if he looks at the female and the female goes, he is not fucking around, right? And the female goes, I'm going to sit this one out. Mm-hmm. The whole point of the look and the other behaviour that the dog displays is to avoid a fight because in yeah. fights people get – dogs get injured. And it weakens the But pack. make no mistake, we have dominance – and we have hierarchies in human society. Yeah. Right? But when you look at um, hierarchies with dogs, it all comes down essentially to competence. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I like that. All right. So that's that. if you want to listen to some really interesting stuff on um, hierarchies and competency, Jordan B. Peterson is, is a very good Yeah, he's a, friend, uh, he's a good friend of the show. Of yeah. We're big fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's... <laughs> He's awesome. So, um, yeah, but that, that's my take on it, man. So, sorry I cut we, you off. No, we, we didn't even plan to talk about dominance, but I think it's pretty cool, especially for a lot of uh, listen, listeners. Like we have um, a lot of our audience is everyday dog owners, and it's good for them to get in, have a taste of a little bit of an in-depth conversation rather than just saying a word and going, sure. cool, I know what that means. Okay, well, one, one example that I use, and I want to know what you think about it, and it's kind of similar, is that if I was ever to give a – an example of when to kind of correct people to stop using the word dominant for fucking every single behavior they see. Like my dog jumps on me because he's dominant. No, man, he just wants a pat. Um, But um, I'd say if you're driving and the police officer pulls you over, he, he can come up to your window and say, get out of the car now and put your hands over your head. He can say that he's in the position of that. But that same individual, that police officer, um, that night can be family dinner and be inside of the kitchen. And then his mother-in-law will be like, pass me the kitchen knife or pass me the utensil and you'd be like, yes, ma'am, I'll move out of you and give it to you. Because in the context, context, he's not going to go and go, how dare you? And then jump on her. Like well, That would yeah. make no sense. So, um, And hierarchy is the contextual as well. Like you just get like that example you've just given. There's, yeah. there's a hierarchy well, the for every situation. Probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, I saw a video exactly. you put up um, maybe last week or the week before saying how we, we don't punish fear, we don't punish anxiety, right? uh, and we punish behaviours. And I thought that was really cool. And I, and I know it was oh, a geez, bit of – w- whether it was a bit of a rant, I felt the passion in it when you were explaining it. Um, oh, look, man, I, I, struggle, I struggle with – I struggle with um, – with uh, remaining a good person while social media is in my life. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't particularly like social media. I consume it. I try to start Facebook because with you that's on a that, fucking mate. cesspool. Yeah. I don't use Facebook at it, all. Mm. Yeah, I have to for work, but I, mm. I definitely find that Instagram, you can curate your Instagram to be very positive, mm-hmm. right, if, if you wish it to be, mm. right? And 
Um, so, so that is probably my preference and that's where I would spend, if I'm going to sit on the couch for 20 minutes and do nothing or nothing fruitful, it might be Instagram, right? But um, so, yeah, I've been getting a bit ranty now and again with my posts. I was actually a douchebag on social media. I don't know if you saw, I actually printed a, like an apology for being a dickhead. I, so I didn't, I didn't express myself. That. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't I, think you're I, being a dick. I, actually, I think what you said was was fucking awesome, well, and I think that, well, that, that level was, that of was emotion. separate. That was separate. Okay. I was a dickhead separately, but I, <laughs> I, I I caught myself three times in a month. I was doing. I tried to only really write positive stuff or stuff that's useful now. But you know, yeah, I, I do get a bit ranty. I have been a bit ranty lately, and and uh, it's because I'm seeing a, a, a really similar cohort of dogs all the time that are all getting the same advice from the same mm. from the same place, which is just fucking retarded, stupid, like whack-ass shit that comes from absolute imbeciles and these dogs and their owners are in a really, really shitty place and have been for a long time because it's very cult-like, right? Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, I'm, are we I'm talking more on, on, the, on the PP side or are we talking on the yeah. on, on an nope. old-school yank and crank? No, yeah, well, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's essentially um, a curriculum that relies on negative reinforcement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, man. I'll, I'll be honest. I see, um, I see people disempowered at both ends of the spectrum, mm-hmm. right? So, I think that people are always served best where the trainer that they're working with takes a philosophical perspective about um, the craft mm-hmm. that they're applying. So, when people have an ideological perspective, so ideologies are characterised by um, dogmatic preconceptions mm. and a lack of balance. Right? Well, there's just no discussion outside of, like, you, you, if you have a question that can't be answered, it's a question that can't be asked. Correct. So if you can't answer it within the ideology, and it I appreciate why that is. Yeah, man, and, and we can get into that if you want differently. But, yeah, so that was the tying it all back. I'm seeing these these ideological ideas and people being sold soap and it's very cult-like. And so, yeah, I get I got a bit ranty about it, and that and that was the time when I did that whole thing. Like it's it's idiotic to to punish aggression or uh, oh, sorry to punish fear or punish anxiety, mm-hmm. right? How can you I, really how can you fix that by instilling more of it in the dog? It doesn't. You're not going to get any. Well, how do you that. punish an emotional state? Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. Well, can you give the example of in the car and what what you said on that video? That that was yeah, awesome. So you're like scared you of that microphone right in front of your face, mm-hmm. right? So Luke, being the tall, athletic, good-looking bugger that he is, he decides to give you a right cross in the jaw, mm-hmm. right? Now, Luke can bang, so that can, hurts, mm-hmm. right? I can, I can crush now, you in that situation, but it's not going to achieve anything positive. Yeah. Did you like the way that he, he just let you know, I can crush I, you in that situation, <laughs> and, I le- and I let him know, and I let, let him think, think he knows. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. So who's really, who's really displaying dominance now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stand <laughs> over here. <laughs> but can bring me back to that idea on dominance because that prompts an interesting thing if you want to discuss more. But anyway, so in that situation, Panos is scared of the mic and he's acting fearfully, right? And Luke wants him to stop. So Luke, you, you give him a bit of good news on the chin, mm. right? And so now Panos stops being scared of the mic and starts worrying about you, right? Does it stop? So he stops acting scared towards the mic and, and he directs his attention towards you. He has to triage the threats here. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So he pays more attention to you, right, 
and but is he now not scared of the no, mic? That's got nothing to do with the microphone. It's just completely. And it's just a new threat. hierarchy. Yeah. yeah, he has the triage. What's more important at yeah. that given time? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So he's he perceives the mic as a threat, but you've just proven yourself a threat. Mm. Which then means right, the dog will stop looking at the microphone and then be focusing on the thing that's the more immediate threat. Going, hey, look, I fix it. He's potentially, not, yeah, in that potentially, moment. potentially, yeah, right. And so, this is. But then people will say, and and so the other thing that we have to talk about there, right? Because I used fear and anxiety, and they're a little bit different because fears are very specific, mm-hmm. right? And if the dog's also anxious, you've got to worry because anxious dogs form um, specific for fears and phobias more easily. So fears are adaptive because they help us to keep us safe, but phobias don't offer uh, um, a reasonable or proportionate response for survival. to the actual level of threat. Mm. Right? So it's like uh, I had a couple of people in a seminar the other day and I'm like, if you're scared of spiders – and I put this spider down six feet from you, if you're just scared and worried about it, maybe you get up and move back a step. Mm-hmm. But if you're phobic, maybe you turn around and run through a window mm-hmm. yeah. and cut yeah. yourself up in the probe process. So it's not reasonable. It's not proportionate. Yes, yes. All right. Don't even mm-hmm. get me into getting to, to fearful dogs and people getting fearful dogs to stare at them instead of what worries them. Mm-hmm. Fuck, mm. that's, that's another one. Yeah. Like, I'll just touch on that if you don't mind. Yeah, please. We're, like, we're, we're open, bro. Dog, dogs like worried about something that's in front of it. It's worried mm-hmm. about another dog. Mm-hmm. And so the owner's going, look at me, look at me, can you look at me, look at me, mm-hmm. look at me, and like <laughs> doing all this cheerleading and trying to get, you know, got a piece of food and, you know, basically blah, blahing the dog to look at them. Mm-hmm. And the reality, like if you explain it to them, so you're scared of this spider, When I, how do you feel about this spider six feet from you? And they go, I'm okay. I'm like mm-hmm. – do you like spiders? They're like, absolutely not. So why aren't you scared? Well, mm-hmm. six feet away and I can see it's a long way away from me. I go, now let's do it in a shipping container and turn out the lights. Mm-hmm. The threshold's increased dramatically. You can't see it. Mm. So all these people fight these dogs and get into these stupid behavioural chains, right, for a long period of time because dog trainers out there are going, oh, get the dog to look at you instead. Get the dog to look at you instead. Motherfucker, if that dog is not really strong at offering that that eye contact unsolicited, it's probably not going to be useful to you in, in that situation, mm-hmm. right? And and just staring at you, like typically speaking when people do that, Panos, you know this, mate, people are shitty payers and they don't mm-hmm. really reinforce it. So it just becomes a shitty chain. Now the other thing turns up, now my owner starts hassling me, now they want me to look at a treat and I don't give a fuck about food because I'm mm-hmm. scared shitless of that, Right. It doesn't work. Yeah. What does work though? Pay that dog for looking at the other dog and not reacting. Yes. So mark mark with as soon as the dog looks in the direction or even looks at the at the stimulus. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Now I think what you've been doing hasn't been working. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I've been doing that a hell of a lot more. I and I am and I do use a look command. I've used it differently in in the last few years because, as you said. If the dog's that stressed out, why the fuck is he going to take food out of your hand anyway? Mm. Um, and then looking at you, what one thing I do like about getting a dog to look is to give them an option to to look away from, so like give them the opportunity that they can look. And then as soon as they look back, I reward and get a little bit more of focus and engagement. Would you agree with that? Would you ever get a dog to, I, to teach them I, to look? 
Oh, yeah, of course I do, man. Like, mm-hmm. have you seen my dogs with me? I like, do. Uh, Legit. Focus. Well, like, it's a very yeah. good one-way focus, not yeah. two-way focus where I've got to look at the dog for the dog to look at me. Mm-hmm. Like if I take Boogie out, he's a pain in the ass. He won't stop looking at me. He won't stop bothering me. I have to teach him what F off means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, now I say F instead of actually dropping the F bomb, boys. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but fuck off. Like, he yeah. understands what that means. Like, go away. I, I'm not – Please don't get me wrong, lads. Like, I'm not saying, look at me, look at me. I'm so good. Heaps of dog trainers manage to do that, right? Yeah. But Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business, right? By right. definition. <sighs> no, I'd, I'd, no, no, no. Most dog trainers that are in business can't do very much. Mm. Most dogs succeed in spite of the training they receive, mm. not because of it. Mm. Yes. Okay, that's true. Correlation, not causation. Yeah, man. Just because you went to training with your dog doesn't explain why your dog turned out well. Mm. Right? Yeah, because point. I can show you some really whack training from really shitty curriculums that nobody who actually understands dogs would ever teach that shit. Right? Mm-hmm. And yet, right, there are, there are, if they didn't turn out enough dogs to a certain level, now whether they dumb down their clients to expect less, whether they get as much from those dogs as they could, there's obviously and, and takeaway marketing. They've got they're pretty much anyone that is consistent, even if they're consistently shit. Most dogs will work that out because mm-hmm. dogs are wonderful. But is your is your training designed in such a way that it actually helps the dog to get things right, or does it rely on how wonderful the dog is? Mm, yeah. Okay. So do you see? Do you get you get the distinction I'm making? It's like, so if I go to the gym and I just work out until I bath, mm-hmm. right, and I do that day in, day out, I might look good. But it doesn't mean that I know what I'm doing. No. Yes, yes, okay. So I've traditionally I been a reasonably fit sort of a fella, mm-hmm. right, and I would get people asking me what to do. I go, don't ask me what to do. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know what I'm doing. I know some stuff about some stuff, and I do what works for me, mm-hmm. right? Here's my buddy Luke's number. If you mm-hmm. want to know what you're doing, this guy approaches working out like I approach training dogs. Yeah. Right? And so mm-hmm. now everything you do has a purpose and it's built into a block and whatever else. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that's a bit different. But, yeah, the, the, the whole concept of focus in those situations, sometimes focus is good, sometimes focus is bad. I want my dog to focus on me sometimes and not focus on me other times, right? Sometimes I'm going to pay my dog for looking at me. It might be more useful. Other times I might pay my dog for looking away from me. Yeah. It, it, it all depends on context. I context, don't think it's yeah. bad to have your dog look at you, but I think that if you're, if you're assuming that you can reduce your dog's fear mm-hmm. by having your dog look at you and not having a look at what worries it, you're on the wrong path. Yeah, especially when when um people do like they get the dog to look before they even see the dog, the other dog that it's scared of. I'm like, well, you're not distract. You shouldn't be distracting the dog. You should be showing because the dog's there, good things happen, rather than going look at me and focus and don't look at the other thing that scares you. How is it? Yeah, you are 100. percent In my opinion, you're 100 percent correct. If the dog doesn't, um, if it doesn't have direct interaction in that, it can't see the dog. Right mm-hmm. or here or whatever else, right? Um, if it doesn't have that, then you're not really desensitizing counter conditioning. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Dog has to be aware of it. What's the value? So, uh, one of my clients, uh, oh, a bunch of my clients, but one, one client in particular came back and I did a post with a little staffy mm-hmm. on my Facebook page, and he's looking back at his owner, and this was exactly the conversation I was having with her, mm-hmm. right? 
she was not trying to get the dog to look at her. He was offering it. I was, but but we got in before that, and we're saying, "Hey, listen, start paying the dog for looking." Mm-hmm. Another client on Saturday, she's like, "Oh, we've started reinforcing the dog looking in the the way that she pays that dog afterwards. He's actually very engaging, and he's mutually incompatible with the dog going away from her." Mm-hmm. Right. So so the. The ritual of reinforcement that she offers is mutually incompatible with the dog pulling out, and she's like, mm-hmm. "We're seeing, we've seen a huge like she was. She, that, that was actually kind of cool, man. It doesn't happen often, but you know, like, you know, you know, when you get people, and they're like, this has been life changing or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, mm-hmm. that's really nice. It's a freaking awesome feeling, yeah. man. It's the reason why. Well, for me anyway, the, the reason why I got into all of this is because yeah, I love dogs, and I actually do love people and dogs can make us better people and if we have a good dog then it's a good person and you know and then there's a there's a chain effect and if someone can see um, or if you can if you actually get some positive reinforcement yourself aside from getting um getting paid um it, it gives us that reinforcement gives us that dopamine to to continue doing it you know 100 percent. so we're back and i had to run to the loo and now i can't remember what we were talking about so <laughs> it's because we're getting boys. so into it it's awesome luke's actually got a question for you yeah, go, man. Um, yeah, Panos was like, what questions have you got for Brad? And I was saying, look, I want to be ask a selfish question. You know, I'm going into the industry. What what sort of advice would you have for for a newcomer, someone who's about I'm, – I'm about a month away from my first NDTF block now, so. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, oh, I think we covered a fair bit of advice like earlier, like, you know, in, in terms of well, – you're a pretty – from everything I've seen of you, you're a pretty robust kind of a cat anyway, right? So um, I think dog training is very difficult as an industry to make a reliable full-time income from. Mm. Um, and I think it takes – well, Panos, you manage it. How many has been going now? Almost 10 years, right? Almost 10, yeah. Right. So – and I think that um, unless you're like an excellent quality marketer, Right, unless you like bring marketing skills, you can do it faster. But be careful how you market yourself, and be careful of what it does to your ego, because mm-hmm. you know, people that know know. Yeah, I, I can true. actually remember. Um, I'll come back to that story in a second. I, I just think try and enjoy it for as long as you can. Try and keep an open mind. Try and learn from everyone. Some of the most valuable lessons I've had come from me spending time around a dog trainer who was everything I never wanted to be. Mm. Good one. That's a good one, actually. Learning from their mistakes, I guess you could say. Mm. Yeah. yeah so, so you might sit in a seminar or a workshop or something like that and you might think, this guy is a complete dickhead. And it could be me. I might not – what I say might not resonate with you. You might go, he's a dick to people or he's, he's too full on or, you know, his ideas are wacky. Okay, cool. Well, then observe that and try and take it Get for what it is and then recognise that's not what you want to do and that's he's not done. who you want to be. Yeah, 100%. That's good advice. And also, like, one thing I learned um, from being at – one of the earlier establishments and they didn't resonate with my ideas. I won't drop names. And, um, and we actually had like, you know, the consequences mean dogs die, man. You know, it's like we help the dog or the dog dies and dogs were dying when, um, when I had days off and, and that shit really pissed me off, but it really, 
Um, that's that and, death before discomfort thing. Yeah, like you know, to to which is to make, back you up. Um, what bullshit. Brad was saying is that you know you see what it is that can be done if we don't make certain decisions, and and then also having the experience to know if if you are going to um, choose a certain technique, you have to be willing to fail so you can learn from it too. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you don't know what works and doesn't work. But the problem with that is that you made a fucking shit decision, and how do you reconcile those two? That that's a that's a life journey sort of thing. I think you always got to be pushing yourself. So, so when you get in, like when you get in, Luke, and you start working with dogs, dude, just people are always banging on about, oh, I've got no opportunity. Motherfucker, your neighbor's dog is untrained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Been training for three, to, three years. You speak to your neighbor, you're claiming online that these experienced trainers won't give you access to what they understand, right? or you're claiming that a seminar is too expensive or whatever else. Yeah, but your neighbor's dog remains untrained. Mm. Good one. Your parent's dog remains untrained. Mm. Your own dog does fuck all. Mm-hmm. Your own dog sits, drops, and stands, but you've never free-shaped your dog. Mm-hmm. You can't show a free-shaped skill. What are you doing to step out of what you know best towards what you don't know well yet? Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? So mm. it's the people that complain most about the people that complain most about not having any opportunity in the industry are typically speaking people that make excuses elsewhere. Of course. Right now, if, if you want to talk about like is if someone lives in rural Western Australia, right, and, and that is your, where your geography is going to limit your access a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But then, you know, and you might not have a neighbour with an untrained dog. <laughs> but in the age of the internet, man, there's plenty. Of, there's always plenty of opportunity to learn. Learning without application, you know, it doesn't really help with understanding. Yeah, yeah. As you said before, and yeah, having a philosophy like what, 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 what are we doing it for? And whatever it is, whether it's dog training or anything, you know, you got to have some sort of goals and um, for yourself doing it as, um, as well. Yeah, and and I think. For, again, from the podcast that I've sort of listened to with you, Luke, you're in a good spot, dude, because you're open-minded. Mm. You know I what I mean, and so I, I try to be. Mrs. May argue? <laughs> no, I, I think she'd probably agree with you there. I'd like to think so. <laughs> She's not here, so I won't speak for her. <laughs> so, so I'll give you an example out of my own backyard, right? Mm-hmm. So, you have to remember back 17, 18 years ago when I was learning to train dogs. The people that I was learning to train dogs from had a lot of experience. Hmm. right and where they got their information came from other people that had a lot of experience right and we were still on the edge of well you know the internet was still a pretty new thing mm-hmm. yeah so uh, realistically uh a lot of the information that we had was old right and whilst you keep your mind open there's not a volume of information if you're looking to challenge the way you think mm-hmm. right so anyway I was taught, I came up, that you don't let your dog on the furniture, you don't let it walk through doors before you, you don't let it eat before you do, you don't let it watch you, you don't do all of these things because if you do, your dog will turn dominant, Hmm. right? You can make your dog dominant. What a load of fucking horseshit. But that's what I heard. And And the other people, the people that taught me that now, I'm sure they've changed, they're very progressive people, right? I'm sure they've changed their attitude towards that because they're invested in shifting their points of view as new information comes mm. to light. That was probably the best, the best information that they had at the time, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. They Is that a sort of a Keeler-esque to... type approach? 
um, Keeler, Keeler predates Alpha, the the L. Mm. David Mech stuff, and that's think that it would have shaped it some, somewhat, though, wouldn't you? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sh- look. I have not read Keeler in that long. I don't have a lot of time for Keeler. Yeah, right. I, I think it's a part of dog training that we need to um, have an understanding of, right? Because it's predominantly based in negative reinforcement, right? With fairly sparse positive punishment. And I've had, I've had the discussion with some Keeler people in the states. Oh, well, that's not what it has to be like. Yeah, but that's what's in the fucking book, right? Yeah. So. You know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. And I appreciate that you can modify what's in the book, but is it really Keeler now? It's been mm. modified. So not, are you a modified yeah. Keeler trainer? Okay, well, that's good. That's right, not I'm a modified Keeler trainer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a modified Keeler trainer and I use food. Mm. <laughs> well, that's not in the book. Yeah, yeah so yeah. anyway, I, I don't really care what people call themselves. But the point of that is I was told all these things and I perpetuated this and then I kept an open mind. And then over a period of time, and this is many, many years ago now, but sort of the light bulb went on and I'm like, holy shit, right? I've got to look. That advice worked for most people and most dogs really well. Mm-hmm. It tended to provide a certain outcome. Me giving that advice tended to provide a certain outcome. However, my understanding of what dominance is means that that's complete bullshit. Mm-hmm. Fuck. So why did it seem to work? So then I look back on it and my, my understanding of it is this. Back then, people believed that if your dog turned dominant, it was going to, you know, bite you, steal your wallet, run off with your missus, punch your baby in the face, right? Like they believed that, that the consequences to failing to do these, these to remain true to these certain rules mm-hmm. was going to produce an egregious outcome, mm-hmm. Right. And so they stuck to them. And that mm-hmm. meant that they had many small rules. They had boundaries to behavior. I hate the term boundaries, but um, they had clear rules and they, and they had very clear expectations from the start, mm-hmm. right? And I really come to think that that's where the value is, right? Mm-hmm. People tended to be more um, rigid with the rules from the start, right, as opposed to being far too permissive, mm-hmm. right? And because there was a level of consistency there, right, um, the dog got used to the idea that in the domestic environment um, there were rules that it had to follow, there were consequences for not following rules and that operating within the rules could bring you great rewards. Yeah, mm, totally. But we, know it's not because, but we know it's not because of the dominance. Exactly. If we accept, if we, we were all sort of on the same page for dominance before, mm-hmm. so then this example can't be true. Yeah. Because that example, the whole reason that you do these things is to avoid your dog turning dominant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then you got to, and that's what I mean about like, but it clearly provided an outcome for a lot of people and it was very helpful for people, but it, it wasn't the reason it was achieving that has to be by another mechanism. And what do you think so that was? A, because there was at least some form of structure and consistency? Yeah. yeah. As, as I outlined, dude, like, you know, it's easy for us to be lazy. Like if you say to me, if you send this email, you're going to make $30. Yeah, but I've got a bunch of emails to send where I'm going to make $1,000, so I'm not going to pay attention to – I'm less likely mm. to attend, right, mm. to that $30 email, right? But yeah. th- these are these are the consequences of a dog turning dominant in that example were really 
really uh, grave, mm-hmm. you know. Like I said, bite you, run off with your missus, steal your wallet, you know, mm-hmm. get your car on the way out the door, that kind of stuff. Punch a baby. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think I think there's probably, my understanding, the best place I've got to is that's probably the mechanism, right? Mm. It gave people a number of things to be careful about and to be consistent about. Yeah. Right, and and that that was good for them, yeah, and their dog. So tell us, yeah, anyway, tell that, us a little bit about your about dogs. Being flexible. Sorry, sorry, buddy. Tell us a little bit about your dogs. What do you want to know, man? I don't know how many oh, dogs you have, what breed are they, and you know um, why do you love them, and what sort of jo- job do you give your dogs on a daily basis? Uh, I've got, I've got an old dog named Carter. Uh, she's a Malinois. All, all my dogs are Malinois at the moment. So uh, for those that don't know what a Malinois is, a Malinois is a working dog. Um, real Malinois are bred only for work. Uh, they very seldom show. If the dog is bred as a show dog, it's not really much of a Malinois. That's like buy, I had to just slip that politics in there, Panos. Like it's, it's like buying a fiberglass Porsche with a VW engine. Yeah. <laughs> you can put a Porsche badge on it, but it's not what it claims to be. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so my old dog, Kana, um, she still works for me in some of the programs that I run. Um, oh, she'd have to be somewhere around 10 years old uh, and – She's she's great. Um, she's got an evil streak in her. Like she's a nasty dog at times, right? But she's also if if she, if you're her people, she's very affectionate. Um, and so I've got her, and I love it a bit. Then I've got another dog who's about three, named Snap. That's my middle dog. So I've done a little bit of obedience trialing with her, and um, I do some other obedience stuff for fun with her. But I'll probably trial her again. This year, I do the, some form of level up from what I've done previously. Is that like an and, IPA, IGP or? Yeah, yeah. So I did the mat test back where we were under working Malinois Australia, which is so in Australia, there's two dog sport organizations predominantly. One's working Malinois Association, the other one's Schutz in Australia. <laughs> there's a lot of politics in relation to all of that. Um, I'm not going to get into it because there's some fairly vicious characters involved in it. But what I will say is I'm glad we're part of Schutz in Australia. Mm-hmm. We left working Malinois Association mm-hmm. and um, the club that I'm part of. And basically uh, the old organisation said that you had to do a Mondio Ring assessment test before you could do a BH, which is a complicated German word I can't pronounce, standing for a traffic steady companion dog, basically, mm-hmm. right? And so I did the mat. Under the old organisation, we switched to the new one. I was very grateful that we got to do the the um, the new one under Schutz and Australia, which is great. Uh, and so that's a BH. And then from BH, you've got – BH is like the, the entryway, the doorway test to a bunch of other curriculums that your dog has to – that your dog can then compete in, right? So basically, they make sure that your dog is emotionally stable and trainable, before they say, okay, she can go on to these sports, some of them involve biting, some of them don't, or, or these curriculums, sorry, not sports, some of them involve biting, some of them don't, right? But you can't do any of them unless we can see that you've, that your dog is emotionally stable and mm-hmm. basically trainable. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, anyway, that's Snap. Um, and then I've got Boogie. Uh, so Boogs is, uh, he's not. Uh, 
he's my dog, but he's not my dog. He's he's about to leave me and go on to some kind of working role. So I've raised him from about just, I think, about 12 weeks old through until now. He only just turned 12 months old. Um, you'd like him, dude. He's a hitter. He looks awesome, man. I've been watching your life, life with um, – what's um, Life with Boogie? No. Yeah, the hashtag's Life, life of Boogie. Life with Boogie, yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been yeah. watching from the beginning. Actually, I've been, I've been referring a couple of um, videos and and using examples like, hey, you, you you did your muzzle conditioning with him and stuff. Oh, cheers, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's awesome. I didn't know he was actually going to be moved on. So do, do you know, can you explain a little bit about what, what he's going to yeah, be I, doing? I did, I did some artwork for the hashtag. So when yeah, I wore them up my photos, you can see a little hand grenade and a little yeah, shield yeah. with a blue line across it. So I, ne- I never got Boogie in order to keep Boogie. I, I got cool. full disclosure. I would love to keep Boogie. Right. Yeah. So shout out. You don't care if I do shout outs, right? Go ahead, please. Right. It's really, really hard in Australia to get well-bred dogs, mm-hmm. right? And then just because the dog's well-bred doesn't mean the people are a pleasure to deal with, mm-hmm. right? So my clo- I'm close friends with the guys at Varg Kennels, V-A-R-G Kennels, mm-hmm. right? These guys really understand working dogs and they're part of – I would say a small network, a selective network of people that do similar work to them and they bred Snap and they bred Boogie, right? And so I went up and chose Snap. I selected Snap. It turned out that they told me that they thought that Snap was the dog for me, but I did Mm -hmm. my own testing and and I chose her and it was completely in line. And then this time they sent me Boogie and there's not many people I would trust sight unseen to select the dog that I'm going to invest 12 months in, Yeah. right? Uh, and they will bang on the money with what they said about him. So it's it's a testament to them um, that Boogie's turned out well, I reckon, because genetically he's absolutely super. But, yeah, when I did the artwork, it's got that reference to like a military or law enforcement dog. I never got him to keep. Mm-hmm. I, I, oh, it's very conflicting about him going, man, because I love that fucking dog. So he's going to go and bite some he's bad just, dudes somewhere, eh? He's really built for it, man. Mm, yeah. But everything I see, he's really built for it. And, and – Whoever he goes on to work with may have a differing opinion. That's fine. Um, everything I see about him, I love. Like, he's a badass man. He's he's done some things that I'm not going to talk about. That, <laughs> yeah, even 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 at a young age, I, I can talk about this one. So, um, yeah, a, a buddy of mine is involved with law enforcement and canine development and we were hanging out and Boogie chased him around. He didn't, he did almost nothing to prove He just looked at Boogie and he just sort of held his gaze like this and Boogie decided he didn't like it. So with no provocation, Boogie just like, bop, 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 bop. I've gone, we're going to roll this, bro. And he goes, let's roll with it. So Boogie actually chased him around under tables into different rooms for like two and a half minutes and right in the end, I just pulled Boogie away just as he went to bite my buddy on the ass. I've got the Whoa. photo somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he was 18 weeks old at the time. Oh, for uh, real? <laughs> yeah, and he'd, he'd never had any exposure to that. Like that wasn't – that was just Genetic. who he is. Like yeah. he's a young, confident, outgoing dog who for whatever reason saw my mate's behaviour as somewhat provocative, mm. right? And he was super relaxed about it. Right, and he was just everything he was doing. It was like he was just in this serene place in his head. It was like he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And so I just tagged along for the ride and pulled him back at the right times. That's awesome. When you explained that, I thought he was like the age he is now, and you had no lead. I'm like, shit, this guy's running fast for two and a half minutes in the house. No, no. (laughs) If I recalled him now, I'd be, I'd, I'd be confident. I could recall him. His recall's great, but, um, but yeah, back then, no, and. 
yeah, so that's Boogie, and he's bred by Varg, and um, it's up in the air about where he goes at the moment, but okay. I'd say he'll be leaving soon, and then I will probably won't see me online for a couple of days, but just while I um, commiserate the loss of my mm. friend in my life. Yeah. You know, because we're pretty close, man. He's hilarious. He's, <laughs> he's truly hilarious. I'll tell you. So I, I have this friend called the fairy dog mother, Kim, mm-hmm. right, FDM. So she's selling some stuff on Facebook and she's selling a table, right, on Marketplace. So she climbs down and she's looking underneath because the table extends out, right? So she's got her phone and she's climbed down and she's underneath and she takes a photograph to put on Bookface while she's down there on all fours, Boogie just walks up, climbs over her, puts his front paws on this side and the back paws, and then just like, and then just sat on her. Who <laughs> 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 does like what dog does that? He Boogie just walked up. He didn't, he didn't say anything, right? Mm. And he just like sits on her, and she and she looks back at him. She goes, "Dude, are you right?" Like. <laughs> What are you doing? And he apparently he just like looked at her and then looked away and he just lay there limp. So then she actually crawled around the other side of the table and the dog stayed there, right? <laughs> In the end, she goes, dude, get off. Get off me. It's not a game of horsey, <laughs> right? So she lay down to get another shot under the table and he walks up and sits on her guts. <laughs> dude, bro, that, that, bro, your dog is so dominant. Yeah. <laughs> he's so funny, man. He's so funny. What an aggressive dog. <laughs> yeah, I oh, know. It's horrible. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's funny because Kim was in the backyard and she's mowing the lawns and he would just trot along next to the lawnmower, right? So she's she's walked away because she's seen a weed. She's very house proud. So she's seen a weed and she's gone to pick it up. And the next thing, she feels these these two smacks just on the small of her back, right? And so she stands up as Boogie lands down in front of her and just looks back and runs off. He just leapfrogged over her. Just leapfrogged her for fun. Like out of the blue, he saw her bend over and goes, fuck it, let's leapfrog her. Oh, shit. That's (laughs) awesome. That's that's what I'm really going to miss about him, man. Like he just has that sense of humor. Like he's that shit is funny to me. Yeah, 100%. You know, and I don't know what to call it other than a sense of humor. Yeah, right? and 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 he's funny about it, like the times that he does it. Yeah, like yeah, it's, it's, it's but yet that same dog at like six months old, Kim's out mowing the lawn again. Next door's having a pool party. The foots, the the fence is like eight and a half feet on that side. It's got mm-hmm. a fence topper, and some dude's standing up before he jumps in the pool, and he like looks over the fence and. He, Boogie's gone from just chill to apparently made all this noise and the next thing, his front feet were like bouncing off the, the just about a foot under the thing. So, wow. And the guy actually, Kim said she actually heard the dude hit the concrete on the other side and start oh. complaining about being injured and stuff. Screw <laughs> <laughs> you, dude. Don't look over the fence. Wow. <laughs> it's not your house. That's but that's awesome. Boogs, man. That's Boogs. So clearly, sorry for everyone listening if it's too ranty, but – that's how I feel about him. I absolutely adore him. I, I like all my dogs, and they're all real different. Um, and but Boogs and I, Boogs is the first male dog I've had in a little while. And yeah, the bromance. Just, 
super bromance, bro. That's exactly what it is. It's a bromance, Luke. Yeah. Mm. So I really like him. I'm going to be really sorry to see him go. Yeah. Well, I was going to say uh, before we wrap up, my, uh, my question was, you know, like, why do you love dogs? And I think you kind of already told us. Yeah, like, I can see you know, your eyes, man. They've just you've lit you know, up, they're in yeah. the present moment. They they they're they're um they have that sense of humor. Of course, depending on on the breed and your relationship. But the more you work your dog and have that close relationship, you can see those moments of of um of happiness and joy and, and everything that we actually want from our dogs. Yeah, I, I think in dogs we find that which we seek, mm. right? Mm. So when I was young, I was a meathead, right? And so what I, I loved working dogs, right? And then as I got older and my personality shifted and whatever else, I, I like it for a completely different reason. Mm. But I, I like I like I like having to communicate with another species and I really enjoy having to engineer um, uh, engineer emotional experiences that are going to create a more robust, resilient dog. Like I, I like and, and I choose to own dogs that, are, you know, allow me a canvas, I guess, to be mm. able to try and paint prettier pictures every time. Yeah, I like and, that. Because it is, an, it is they, an art, isn't it? It's a craft, like you said before. Yeah, yeah, I've been saying it's a craft for the longest time and I'm glad that more people are sort of talking about it that way. There's definitely there's definitely the trade of dog training. So I would make a shitload more money if I went out, put check chains on dogs, right, and went, bang, don't do that, right? That's what people want. People want an immediate answer. Mm-hmm. You want to crush, yeah, crush the I, dog. I, I did it for years, man. <laughs> mm. I did it for years. The most dogs I ever trained working your boarding and training contract was 27 dogs in one day. Wow. And I'll bet you any money that when I trained 27, I might have done a good job with three. Yeah. yeah. Because I certainly didn't do a good job with all of them. Yeah. Right? And I would never take that volume of work now. But, you know, that was trade. There wasn't a lot of craft went on there, right? But mm. if you – you know, you got to if you, if you're looking for if you're looking for synergy and I, I hate using all those buzzwords, but you know what it is when you see it. Yeah, totally. Well, like you put up um, on your stories the other day about something like if it's hard, it, I want to do that hard thing because it's worth it rather than doing the easy yeah. thing that will give you gratitude, like will give you some sort of instant gratification now, but it won't be a long term result. Like you can you can yank and crank the dog, yeah, he stops showing the undesirable behavior, but you really haven't done the thing that's going to last long term and actually be of of value. Oh, my my preference is to do meaningful is is to provide a meaningful sustainable long-term solution for behavioral problems mm-hmm. right sometimes people come with dogs and the problem's not as severe as what they think and that often happens mm-hmm. right but sometimes the dogs are more complex right so it is what it is i'm not in the interest of i don't think it's ever good business to to try and get someone to train for 12 weeks what they could train in three, mm-hmm. right? But if you say to your clients, the way I would prefer to do this will take you six, right? But it offers you this at the end, right? Most people will take the six. Yeah. You, you were talking before, bro, about um, people – and I know you said, like, you're getting ready to wrap up, but – Go um, ahead, man. We got all the yeah. time. Cool. So uh, you were talking about how dogs die. Dude, 
people I've been seeing for the longest time, I used to do this, right? So this is not me saying that I've never done it. This is mm-hmm. the, how often, um, how often do you see people justifying shit, awful training based around if I don't do this now, the dog dies? You know, they're going to put the dog down. Yeah. That's on the owner, man. That's exactly. not on you. If that owner has been a complete negligent prick, mm-hmm. right, has been proximally negligent and presided over this dog's life, right, for the last three years and now comes to the point where he comes to you and goes, well, if you can't do it, I'm going to put the, down, the dog down. I send him back and uh, I'll call him and I'll just go, put the fucking dog down if you want to put the fucking dog down. Yeah. But don't lump your emotional bullshit on me, mm-hmm. right, and don't act like for some reason I have to take you on as a client, what the fuck am I going to take you on as a client, right? Because what you claim has to be fixed now, you spend three years not doing anything about, right? I I need you now, next week. I need to see you next week. Fuck, already. So if you're not prepared, if you're sitting here and saying if it can't be fixed immediately, I'm going to kill the dog, well, you know what? You're a fucking douchebag and you're not going to do what needs to be done anyway. Exactly. Right? You've already made a decision you're not going to that you can't, that you that you're going to kill the dog unless mm-hmm. I can fix it, but yeah. I can't fix shit. It's not a broken mm-hmm. alternator. That's yeah. a living, breathing, thinking, feeling being mm-hmm. that you have given no opportunity for. And now that now you've seen the sum of three years of proximal neglect, now you want me to click fix my it. fingers and do some dog training voodoo, right? Yeah. And now you fix that shit. And let me tell you, man, I work with dogs. This is not a brag. I'm just telling you the reality of what yeah. we see. I've told you there's a broad variety, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in the last in the last three weeks, I've had four court cases I've had to do reports for. Well, mm-hmm. two two are administrative, but the report could go to court, and then um, the other the other. Wait, what was that? Yeah, two. Yeah, and two of them were for prosecution, and two of them were for um, defence. Now. Um, I see, I, I see dogs that are already at that nexus, right, at that bottleneck in their life. Who knows what's going to happen after that for them? But most of the dogs I see uh, aren't at that point. Mm-hmm. And so people come to me and they go, well, I'm thinking about getting rid of the dog. I go, well, why don't you give training a go first? So, mm-hmm. so many of these people, I don't know if you see it, man. I see it all the time. Like there's these shit whack trainers. They're almost always, almost always. They don't train with food. They don't use good markers. They don't reinforce the performances that they like. These days, they're almost always training on pinch collars and e-collars, right? And they're almost always extremely eloquent presenters, right? And they do social media really well. Mm -hmm. And almost always, it's these people that are going, well, if we didn't fix this, this dog would be dead. Fuck Mm. off. Mm. Yeah. Right? That's bullshit. Right, like it's emotional, shit, right? If, they, if they keep getting those dogs, if they get more than a few of those dogs a year, What's right, happening? where they're legitimate, where they're legitimately placed in that situation where if they don't do something, the dog dies. You know what? They're shit at inspiring people to change their dog's behaviour. Yeah, good point. Right? So don't sit there and like justify what you do. Mm-hmm. Your bullshit, awful. Negative reinforcement focused um, 
dog training, like your hack dog training, don't justify that by saying, well, I had to be this aversive towards this dog now because it was going to happen. No. Mm. You're just shit at educating people that they that the dog needs time. Mm. That starts with a little empathy for the dog, mm-hmm. right? But if you're t- if you're trying to make a social media highlight reel, right, and you're saying, "Oh, look at what we did with it," it's to the, it's to their advantage to say yeah. that's how bad this dog is, yeah. right? And then on the other end, when you look at what they've actually done, the work is pretty shit. Mm-hmm. You know, to the average dog owner, maybe not, but people like us that are yeah. into it. They're we getting start bamboozled, at, aren't they? They're bamboozling yeah, the owners. Dude, that's so whack. Yeah. This industry is so greasy. You know, it, it's, 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 uh, it preys on – funny, a buddy, one of my closest mates, a guy named Steve Marides, right? He's like family to me. We've been mates for years. And I met him through training his dog. Um, the people he was involved with had done some really shifty stuff. I'll tell you off camera, it's, it's actually kind of hilarious. That's a dog game for you. And he said to me once, he goes, I cannot work the dog industry out. He goes, when you think people would buy based on logic, they buy with emotion, mm-hmm. Right. And when and they and um the and the opposite is also true. And this guy going back ten years was eight hundred dollars an hour as a business coach. He ran the largest business oh. coaching company in the world, and he ran the largest branch, and he ran three states. Like this is a guy who's a really erudite, educated, excellent guy, and he's like he, he can't make sense of how people do business with dogs. Yeah, like wow. he choose to do business, but yeah, you see this happen. You see this happen and these people are always pushing, pushing, pushing like, oh, look at, you know, we've saved this dog's life. It's like, like, oh, it's like, the, it's like the cult mentality. People will be part of speaking to the owners and yeah. educating them about what's going on for their dog. No, yeah, a- you know what, man? It gives them an opportunity to do what they want. Yeah. It gives them an opportunity to do what they want because – because it doesn't matter what you do and what a dick you are and what moves you make because otherwise the dog's going to die. Yeah. Does well, that it's, make sense? It's, it's, it's like people taking um, vulnerable people um, and taking advantage of them. Like, you know, like come to my healing center and I'm the yogi and I'll help you, but, <laughs> but, the, but, but there's a price to pay for it, right? And we'll talk about that later, you know? It's, and, yeah. it, it's, and when people are suffering with, with bad behavior in their dogs, they're in vulnerable place and, and someone, and I would like to believe, but um, unlike me and you will take advantage of that and they will rip them off or they would lead them down this random route. Like you have to go through me to get success rather than saying, Hey, this is my way of doing it. If you don't like it or if you don't resonate, it's cool, but this is what I'm going to offer you rather than saying it's my way or the highway. Pretty much every client that comes in the doors here, I explain this to them. I'm like, you've come to me today so that we can do an evaluative session together. Right. So that I can get to know you, you can get to know me, I get to understand your situation and I know your dog somewhat so that we can form a plan of action forward, mm-hmm. right? But you have to be aware that this is a greasy industry, right? And you you should be suspicious when you go to a dog trainer and you ask for an evaluation and you ask them what to do and they tell you to spend more money with them, mm-hmm. right? Mm. There is a conflict of interest if you come to me to do an evaluation, right, and then I t- if I, I need to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Because you come to me in a desperate state, everything I say makes sense, mm-hmm. right? I explain. Usually, I wind up explaining. If you're going to be successful, all, all these things need to be in place. And just because you put all these things in place doesn't mean you'll be successful, mm-hmm. yeah. right? But then I can help you put them in place if you want. But you need to understand that I'm not going to sell you a training package now. 
Yeah. Right? You should go away and think about whether you think I'm a good fit for you and your dog. Think about whether I understand your situation and whether or not you could see yourself working me, with me into the longer term. Go away and check my social media. See what people write about me. Call someone else and ask if you want. Mm. Right? Like you shouldn't be making that decision now while you're stressed and I've offered you a glimmer of hope that I see a way forward. That's not the time to make a purchase. Mm. I like that. Because okay? well, there, there is a conflict of interest there, though, Of right? course, for like, sure. It's undeniable, bro. It, yeah. It's shit that the worst part about the dog industry, it's never the dogs, is it? It's the people. Yeah. And, dude, Melbourne, Melbourne's pretty hectic. If you talk to – I think I almost qualify as one of the the new generation of old heads now, but the old generation before me, dude, yeah, it's, it, it, the, the Melbourne dog industry has a long-standing relationship with some pretty interesting parts of society, mm. right? And there's some pretty interesting politics and whatever else. And, um, yeah, it, it's funny because Melbourne's laws, dog laws are so restrictive. Mm-hmm. And so you yet, guys can use e-collars under a vet's? Approval, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is it um, pinch collars are illegal down there? Pinch collars are a no-no. Yes, mm-hmm. right. So then we cross the border into Albury. Pinch collars you can buy from a pet shop. Yeah, but, but no you can't e-collars. fit an e-collar to your dog. Yeah, mm. and then Queensland is yeah. I'm going goes. for gold. Yeah. I'm pretty Go sure. For now. Yeah, until the RSPCA sticks their bullshit hand uh, into the cookie yeah. jar. and mm. Yeah. We'll ban flat, it. They'll, ban, they'll ban flat collars too. It's funny, I had to go to the RSPCA down here in Melbourne the other day and I've got to say that the staff that I dealt with were really good, right? Yeah, really it's not lovely. them, is it? It's not them. No, 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 mm. it's not. But I had to evaluate this German Shepherd and I can't really say much about it, just I don't want to do the wrong thing. But what I can say, this was a dog that had a really shitty negligent upbringing mm-hmm. but a very strong character. Mm-hmm. I'd say so he would bite you. Mm-hmm. And... It was funny because I sat there to, to these ladies and they lovely, I can't say enough nice about them. And she said, one of them said, yeah, there's not really any options for that dog, is there? And I'm like, what do you mean? I go, I'd get that job. I, I said, I seriously reckon if I put two, three months work into that dog, that dog would have a job as a military working dog. Mm-hmm. No problem. She's like, really? I go, yeah, you could get around that. I go, it just requires a bit of time and expertise. Mm-hmm. I go, but unfortunately, the RSPCA has decided that it's more humane to kill this dog than it is to place this dog with military or law enforcement. In fact, they've got, a, they've got an internal policy that won't provide dogs for those purposes because they consider it cruel. Oh, gosh. But they will kill that dog yeah. when they mm. know that there's another job. Mm, capital punishment for behaviour. Dude. Well, what I meant before about when, when dogs are dying, it wasn't because of demands of owners. It was because I worked in an establishment where, of course, dogs were being rehomed. And, With an idea. And, yeah, yeah, and look, and that, yeah, look, there's some dogs that I think aren't suitable to be rehomed to someone who has no idea or no um, experience. I'm not, I'm not saying that yeah. no dog should be put down. I think that if there's a dog that with some, with, with some really easy behaviours to be fixed, but it's hard if you refuse to do anything about it, well, then, you know, that's... Dude, uh, that... You put that so well. You put that so well. But here's another interesting thing, right? Like I, here's how to win friends and influence people, mm-hmm. right? Like bag, bag out an organisation on a podcast. But let's look at it for what it is, right? So another RSPCA policy, right, is that they, they don't consider the use of check chains to be, um, to be humane. Yeah, or, or martingales, right? Mm. Mm. Right, but they will put a dog on a slip leash... 
and let it choke the shit out of itself. Yeah, from one kennel to the next. <laughs> oh, I, I've seen dogs at RSPCA, you know, uh, I want to say five years ago, but I could be wrong with that. We know what my memory's like, but I saw dogs walking around on check chains like pulling tight. So they want, they want to talk about how that's inhumane, mm. right? But what we need to understand is that when these organisations – not just RSPCA, that was my frame of reference. You were working yeah. for another organisation, mm-hmm. right? And so when, when they put these dogs down, and it's important to understand what they are saying is they use the term euthanasia, mm-hmm. right? Now, euthanasia is essentially killing with kindness. Mm-hmm. And in order to for alleviate it to be euthanasia, suffering. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that can also be in order to – but the other side of alleviating suffering, right, is what they call is the dog behaviourally irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Right, meaning so. In context, what that means that um, through bringing all tools and options to bear, right? Can can we change the way that that dog behaves in a given situation, right? To the mm-hmm. point where it can be reassimilated into society, or can it? You know, technically, you could place it in a sanctuary or whatever else, but that's fraught with danger in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's interesting is. I'll just use the RS as an example, but it applies to all organisations. The RS has made a decision that regardless of the state that they're in, a pinch collar never has a place, an e-collar never has a place, a check chain never has a place, right? And that rather than ever consider the use of one of them, it is they have made a blanket decision that it is more humane to kill a dog that doesn't respond to the limited training and tools that they can bring to bear to modify its behaviour, right? So certainly that the lack of those tools isn't going to, to affect the reason that all dogs mm-hmm. are put to death, right? But For some sure. dogs, of yes, course. right, and, and we would see a volume of them, right? We're aware mm-hmm. of more of them than perhaps the general public is but if there if any organization has these internal policies that don't make sense right that aren't in line with the whole of the science that aren't considerate of the state of of the art of dog training right for one i don't know if i'm choosing the right language here i'll probably hate it later but if they do that then they're not they're no longer in a position where they can say that that dog is behaviorally irredeemable. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. Because the dog may well be behaviorally redeemable. Yeah. Right? But not with them. None of their people are allowed to do any of these Anything. things outside of this small box. Exactly. It's so an ideology. They, They're choosing death before but, discomfort. That's what but, I was saying but, before. But it's not just the dog yeah. thing. It, we're seeing that manifest in other areas. Like we say, it's better to just defund police and give them no job than to train them and show them how to use tools and how to use techniques yeah, to be able to control. So, like, uh, we're not saying it just in dogs. That, All right. We're not saying it there. We're seeing it everywhere. And it's like, you're not allowed to it say this happen. word. You're not allowed to say that. You yeah, can't no, look no, like it, this. It's ridiculous. It it happens, man. I, I think it's even worse, though, for me. It's even worse when we deal with a charitable organisation that has deductible gift recipient status, mm. right, that has a listed mission and objectives, right? One of those is to, to – uh, I'll botch this up – to stimulate intelligent conversation about animal welfare, 
Mm-hmm. No, you, you're quashing intelligent conversation because you're cherry picking and that's yeah. a logical fallacy, mm-hmm. right? And that's intellectually dishonest. Mm-hmm. If intellectuals exactly. get caught cherry picking, they get called out on it. Mm-hmm. It's true, so man. The, the, the neuropsychologist, obviously, like the Australian Veterinary Association has a fair bit to deal with, you know, has, has a fair bit to answer for there in terms of some of the stances that they take as well, um, you know, because obviously they take a stance and then the RSPCAs will, RSPCA says, well, we're following suit, mm. you know. The scapegoat um, sort of but, thing, yeah. It's not our yeah. fault. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but that in itself is intellectually dishonest mm. because the, the um whilst whilst they have that cover, whilst any organization has that cover if that's what they want to say, that's really about appearances versus an actual duty of care. Mm-hmm. Well like so anyway, and they don't use like that, people of that caliber would say something of in the lines of, "Well, punishment doesn't work." And for someone to say punishment doesn't work is well, a. Well, then why is, do you withhold food from that dog? Well, that too, but also saying that punishment doesn't work. The the word punishment means what it means By that it, that it weakens yeah. behavior in the future. So to say that something doesn't work when you're going against the actual definition doesn't make sense, and that's just an intellectual statement just in itself that. Makes no sense. Right, 100% <laughs> correct. I'm, no. People say to me, are you pro-punishment? Definitely I use punishment in dog training. I use a lot less of it than I tend to use positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. right, on the whole, particularly in the start, mm-hmm. right? But Agreed. I'm, I'm neither pro nor anti-punishment, right? Like how could I be against removing my dog and giving him a timeout? How mm-hmm. could I be against stopping walking when my dog is pulling on the leash? Mm-hmm. How could I be against withholding food in a given moment? Mm-hmm. How could I be against popping on a leash? Mm-hmm. Right? How can I be against that? If I'm a thinking person, I can't be. Mm-hmm. Even can't if you be. even if you were to separate, say, like negative punishment of removing the dog versus like a positive punishment of a positive, correction. Yeah, it's such a loaded word, punishment. Like I, exactly. I, 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 I could, I would hazard a guess that you wouldn't find anyone on the planet who would be against a timeout, even the most positive well, yes, trainer. It's inevitable anyway, even if you're- You know what I mean? Just you removing yourself or removing the dog from the situation. By definition, that's punishment. Exactly, negative you know, punishment. You know yeah. what I do with my clients, Luke, right? Um, I'm not holding this up as some kind of gold standard, right? But pretty much all my clients train with- well, all my train, clients train with markers. Many of them train with clickers. So mm. I actually train my clients so that where they need to use punishment, they have all the necessary pieces. And we always call it punishment, and I describe to them why it's punishment, what type of punishment it is. They understand basic dog training terminology, right? So I don't say to them, are we just going to use a correction? No, this is punishment. We're using punishment here, and this is why. This is what you need to know to make this work. Da, 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 da. So be aware of what you're doing. Here's the reason that we're doing it. We're trying to do it so that we don't have to do it again, right? At the end of the day, that's it. And here's the laundry list of things that we do before we're actually looking at using positive punishment because we can, we can greatly reduce how often we need to use it, how much of it we need to use. We can better prepare the dog for when it does happen, all of this stuff, right? But I, one, I think as dog trainers, one of the worst things that we do is we avoid calling things what they are. Yeah. 
More like saying you reactivity, know, right? The dog's lunging and trying oh, to bite, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, look at look at how many people out there in the dog training community, they're going, um, oh, it's pressure release, pressure release. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen, I think that's grossly reductionist. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that some people like that approach, but it also makes really simple things really hard to explain sometimes, mm-hmm. right? But I think I'm not saying that that's how we need to approach our clients, but I'm saying that definitely as dog trainers, especially as professional dog trainers or someone looking to be a great amateur dog trainer, there is a language. Yes. And, and use it correctly. And, and yeah. It's funny. I was, on a, I was on a Facebook group, a US Facebook group, um, and I bothered, this was years ago now, I bothered to chime in about um, this whole pressure release thing. And I was saying, hey, listen, there's a, I wasn't trying to be a dick. I'm like, are we, really, are we really empowering? If the aim of this page is to really empower people to learn how to train dogs better, then surely it makes sense to actually call things what they are mm-hmm. as opposed to being reductionist in terms of calling it pressure release, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise people going away from here aren't really going to be armed to actually have a meaningful conversation with people that are higher up the food chain, be mm. understood and understand the answer, Yeah. right? Oh, man, I got flamed. This woman no. wrote that she hated me. Oh. Right? I got absolute – dude, it was like bad. I got smashed. I, I think the post was like 400 words or something. It was long, right, and I got attacked because it was a long post and I was thinking, oh, this is a good point. Like this might help people. I wasn't trying to be a dick, not to my recollection. So anyway – it was funny because I got flamed down and then a little bit after that, Bart Bellin went and did a seminar, uh, went and did an appearance at this seminar and he said basically exactly the same thing, right? Oh, wow. And then these people that led this conversation came back and they're saying there's a language for dog training that should oh, be followed. Oh, gosh, of course. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. But well, I speak guess truth. Facebook's oh, a I, fucking I, cesspool though. Okay? Like oh, it really shit. is. So and you know what, mate. actually, just on a quick side note, away from yeah, dogs man. for a second, um, I found a really good podcast the other day. It's called Your Undivided Attention. And it's yeah, by right. the guy, one guy, his name's Tristan Harris. He um, is an ex-Google guy. And, you know, we're talking like the early, early, early days of Google when he was there. Um, and his, like, his classmates that he was at uni with, one went on to invent uh, sorry, two of them went on to start Instagram. Um, the guy who he co-hosts the podcast with invented the infinite scroll. You know how f- you can never end? No like, never ends. He invented that. So these guys know what they're talking about. But basically the podcast is about, you know, what, what social media, how it's by design. A, it's designed to promote, you know, uh, controversy, particularly Facebook. Like the algorithm rewards yeah. um, um, that sort of inflammatory What's what posting. happens to your feed when you hit an angry face? Yeah, you know, um, and then also how it, <clears throat> it's it been designed basically like a slot machine, you know. So if anyone's interested in that sort of thing and if you're interested in dog training, I think there's the, that whole psychology element of it as well. But it yeah. is all, for me, I find that interesting how everything's yeah, sort totally. of interrelated as well. Oh, they're super related, those two topics, man. Mm. Super related. But, yeah, that's that's um, that's how I feel about that, lads. <laughs> Man, on that, well, on that, that's probably a good good note to end on. Not not too yeah, positive, right, not too negative. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, go yeah. on, boys, kick me off before I rabbit on too much. Yo, I understand. <laughs> You're gonna get us in trouble. Me no. off. How long have we been going for? <laughs> I think we've been going for almost two hours, bro. Yeah, we're getting close. Shit. 
Well, it's been yeah, a, it's been one of our long ones, down. but I, I can keep talking like this for the next six hours, bro. Yeah. Like I'm I'm really enjoying it. And <laughs> I actually really enjoyed myself, boys. Though, yeah. So, uh, and we we last really pod, my ahead, last sorry. podcast experience wasn't so great. So oh, really, okay. Yeah. You don't have to mention it, but I am going to go out and find it and listen to it. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I was I was treated very well during the interview. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Bro, we, I, I personally really appreciate you. I love watching all your stuff on socials and, you know, it's, been, it's an honor to have you on the show and to um, express oh, yourself and to share your perspective. We're really, really down with that. Um, let everyone know where you can, where, where they can find you and where they can watch your videos and find you if you live in Melbourne. Okay. Um, so my website is letter K number nine, k9services.com.au. Um. I th- and that is my Instagram handle as well. And then on Facebook, I think our social account is the word K9CANINE Services International. And uh, that's our Facebook page. Awesome. So um, we've got the YouTube, which is K9 Services International. Oh, no, it's letter K number nine services TV. Um, yeah. So I guess that's it. I. I I'm a little bit inconsistent with putting up social stuff uh, and I, I don't really understand it all that well, to be honest with you. I just try and I, I try to do stuff that I would watch and think that I hadn't wasted someone's time. But I have to say, man, yeah. I, li- I like watching yeah, I everything like watching. that you put up up there and it is very valuable. And the thing about you is that because you're – because like the way that you think about it means that if you're going to put something up, it actually means something. It's not just you put it up there just because you got to put a post up for the day, and and that's what I do yeah. really like about I try, it. I try not to do it, but there is a little bit of be me like, look how cool my dog is every now and again. You know, like he's, <laughs> he's a photo of boogie on a rock. <laughs> but <laughs> but you got to man, <laughs> you got to do that right, and um, wasn't and, it? and that's awesome. Yeah, yeah that, cannot we just bask for a minute? How fucking good looking is that dog? Yeah, he's, he's fucking awesome, looking. man. Good looking rooster. Oh, <laughs> and bites like a crocodile. Yeah. For real. Yeah, yeah, he's cool as shit. Did you name he him? Really yeah. yeah. Yeah, his name was Rocket before I got – so the boys at Vark <laughs> Kettles, um, they they named him Rocket. Mm. And I'm like, that's whack. So they're like, Boogie, why Boogie? I go, the Boogeyman goes bump in the dark. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> you get so down. that was how we got boogie. But yeah, I'm gonna miss him. But anyway, um, let me just say too, guys. Um, Please. So I don't listen to like I've listened to a few of your podcasts now. I'm pretty selective about what I listen to. I think that it's really cool that um, there's a couple of good dog po- uh, podcasts out there now, um, all with in the dog space, all with very different styles, right? And I think that. Um, I think that for you guys, from my experience, you guys seem to hit the pet dog market the best. Thanks, right? Ben. Thanks. Like, I, I think that the way that you put stuff, something I really struggle with, Panos. Like I, if you think that I write complicated, you should listen to the way my brain works. So I basically mm-hmm. write what I speak and I don't dumb it down, mm-hmm. right? So, but you just have this way of making things nice and simple. Uh, and I, I think it's a great contribution. And I think that most dog training podcasts here in Australia are geared towards, in the broader sense, industry. Yeah. Right? And I think that it's it's cool that you're uh, trying to like breach, bring the two across. Cool, man. I like it. I Thanks, like it. man. 
I really appreciate that. And, that, and that's actually um, the, the goal from the beginning was to, to, um, to literally talk about life with our dogs and, whether, and not to get too technical because we'll lose a lot of people. And also, and even the way that we talk and even when it's just me and Luke um, in the studio going over topics, um, it's good for industry people because they can just get another perspective of how mm. someone else, you know, another foot soldier out there training dogs is so they can learn something. But also, you know, I've been getting even my clients, even new people that I find going to say, hey, I'm going to see you in four weeks listen to these different episodes and they're already working a marker before I come and they've already worked on certain things and cool, half man. their fucking problems are, are solved before I even rock up. And, um, that's and awesome. Now and that's, pay that's me. That's really cool. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> do you, do you, like, I, I struggle with that. I put, it's funny. I put out a 10 minute tutorial on markers. I started right? watching that yesterday, actually. Yeah. Well, you probably already understand it, but I put out a 10 minute tutorial on markers. Like no one watches it. So maybe the problem is I'm not podcasting about it. Maybe it's because I'm putting it up on video. Maybe people want to hear on podcast, but I think I'll leave that to you guys. You nah, just get, bro, just on get that audio file markers. and just whack it up on, um, on, on your own podcast channel and we'll plug it, man. And we'll be, we'll be happy to be a guest on your <laughs> show. What, too, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get him on, uh, on another episode and we'll just talk about markers. Perfect. You done. can, you can, <laughs> there you go. we can do your episode. on. Well, markers. there's your plug. Watch that video people Beautiful. and then comment on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But yeah, that's um that's cool, guys. So um I, I had a really good time talking to you for um those of your listeners out there that bother to tune in and put up with my bad language and shitty attitude, <laughs> my self righteous <laughs> opinions. Um thanks very much. Hey man, it's our podcast. And we can say whatever the fuck we want. Exactly. That's how it works. <laughs> that's how Giddy it goes down. <laughs> I love it. All Cheers, right, man. Um take care. Thank See you, ya. brother. Thanks, mate. Till next time. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips and techniques, visit nooches.pooches.com.au. Thank you and stay tuned for next time.